fourth season of Songwriter, the podcast of stories and answer songs. My name is Ben Arthur. Today, we have a song by legendary songwriter Steve Earle called It's About Blood. But first, the stories that inspired the song. Um, I'm Jessica Blank. And I'm Eric Jensen, and we're married. We are married, and we're... So married. (laughs) Jessica and Eric are multi-hyphenate creatives who write, direct, and act. In fact, you may have seen them in any number of television shows and movies. I was on season five of The Walking Dead. Prodigal Son. Mr. Robot. You were also on Mindhunter. Right, and you were in Slenderman. And I played Thurman Munson, the baseball player in The Bronx is Burning, which I'm particularly proud of because I gained 26 pounds. But the couple's true passion is documentary theater. Basically, it's theater that is created from the words of real people. So when we make documentary theater, We go and do interviews with people. We record audio only. And then we transcribe those interviews and our plays are constructed from words spoken by the real people themselves. It's not the sort of writing where we're making things up. We're taking five to 600 pages of interview transcripts and weaving and shaping them together into a 40-page play. Ultimately, we also... uh will include letters, court transcripts, whatever is pertinent to the subject matter at hand. What we're interested in when we interview people for our plays is less about, you know, things that journalists would be digging into and more about the human experience behind the stories that we're hearing. The first play that we wrote together is a play called The Exonerated, also a documentary play based on interviews that we did with death row exonerees across the United States. We were both working as actors primarily and really interested in documentary theater as a medium. And we came up with the idea to interview death row exonerees and create a play from the transcripts. And before we knew it, our director, Bob Balaban, called Susan Sarandon and Tim Robbins to um, to do uh, some of the readings. You know, we were a couple 20-something kids. We were like, okay, well, I guess we got to make this good now. <laughs> and the play ended up garnering um, some really fantastic reviews and ended up running uh, off-Broadway for almost two years. Uh, We expected to do the play for 90 friends of ours, like over maybe two nights. And then I don't know how many years ago, 10 years ago, maybe, uh, there was uh, an incident that happened in West Virginia that that caught both of our eyes. It caught my eye because of how the victims of this horrible mine explosion were being treated by the press. When we decided to do a play about the Upper Big Branch mine disaster, we knew we were also doing a play about the land in Appalachia. And as soon as we started talking about that, we knew that the play would want music. You know, the person that I knew who was sort of a cross between uh, Bruce Springsteen and Willie Nelson was, uh, was Steve. 
Um, yes, yeah, Steve could do it all. He can do it all. And he's just a really good player and a really good dude. And his heart's in the right place. And we always try to work with people who have good hearts. And we so. knew him from our first play, The Exonerated. Steve was really, really involved in uh, activism around the death penalty, which is how he got involved in that play. And he had acted in our play. So we reached out to him. There was nobody else as far as we were concerned, who could have done the music for this play. And so thankfully he said yes. And so his his character of the musician or the the, the player uh, acts as a sort of Greek chorus in the play where, you know, a, a story will lead to a song, which will lead to a story, which will lead to a song, which will lead to a story. In the show, Coal Country, Steve Earle plays a song called It's About Blood that lists the names of every single one of the 29 miners who were killed in the Upper Big Branch Mine disaster. The uh, listing of the 29 names uh, comes from, I think, a long tradition, almost a protest march, as you know, say their names. And that was something Steve brought in one day. And he was playing the song and he said, now watch this. And he started doing the names, and, and I had tears coming out of my eyes, chills going up my spine at the same time. We just knew it was absolutely the right, the right thing. Well, because it's not just a list, it's an invocation. Yeah. I mean, it really is. When he says those 29 names in the show every night, he's calling them in. The miners knew. I mean, these were guys, some of them were guys that had been working in the mines for 35 years and knew how it worked in union days, knew what the safety rules were supposed to be. You know, coal mining is a dangerous job no matter what, just like firefighting is a dangerous job no matter what. It requires physical courage. But those safety standards are there for a very clear reason, right? They prevent disasters. They don't prevent the job from ever being dangerous, but they prevent it from being catastrophically dangerous. These guys knew that there were things that weren't working the way they were supposed to work, that the ventilation was wrong, that there was explosive coal dust in the air that was not being mitigated. Methane. There was methane, right, explosive levels of methane. There were all of these conditions that they were very aware could cause a catastrophic explosion at any time. You could easily get laid off if you talked to a mine inspector or caught talking to a mine inspector. I'm, you know, I don't know how many times that actually happened, but people were definitely afraid of that. It was definitely threatened. That came out in the court case, and there were patterns of recriminations for anybody who spoke up. And there was a long tradition, unfortunately, in the coal mines of southern West Virginia that if you are a squeaky wheel who causes problems, not only do you usually lose your job, but you're blacklisted meaning you can't get a job in the area in coal. We actually learned once we were down there that Massey Energy, Don Blankenship's company, had been responsible for de-unionizing this particular area of southern West Virginia. We didn't know until we started interviewing people that that was part of the story. And we realized once we started hearing about that that this was a much larger story, right? It's a story that is at its heart absolutely about the families and their devastating loss and the injustices that led to that loss. But it is also about how that situation 
came to be. And the reality is, is that the safety, the safety violations that were happening at that mine could never have happened at a union mine, right? Unions protect people from this. And I don't think it's any kind of coincidence that the company that was responsible for the UBB mine is the same company that was responsible for de-unionizing this area. For this episode, I asked Jessica and Eric to tell me about just one of the men who died, and they chose a young man named Corey Davis, whose story was told by his father, Tommy Davis. Corey was, uh, he worked at Upper Big Branch, and he invited his dad to come to work there with him. The day started off relatively normal. And then when Tommy got into the mine, he knew something was off because the signs usually swing with the air coming in um, uh, from the ventilation. And they were still and everything was hot. And they were just, a lot of guys were ripping off their clothes so they could just work. And finally, Tommy said, screw it. I'm out of here. Uh, I'm leaving. And uh, that was shortly before something sparked a methane explosion that was so big it traveled from one end of the mine. It lit the coal dust in the air and the explosion became so big that it traveled from one end to a mine, hit the wall and traveled all the way back. And then we're talking about miles through my, uh, and a fireball accelerating and taking on size as it picked up explosive coal dust along the way. The fireball was so big it took 30 ton metal equipment and twisted it into pretzels in the words of one of the people in our play. And you can imagine what something like that would do to a human being. You know, Tommy came out the front of the mine with some other survivors and nobody knew what was going on. People were talking about that there'd been a rock fall. His brother, his nephew, and his son. His brother, his nephew, and his son were all dead. Timmy, Josh, and Corey. There were some people whose bodies came out right away. There were other people who they knew were dead, who they had located. Um, but had not been able to bring out yet. And then there were a few men who they had not located yet. And so in the first horrible days after the disaster, the families were all brought to the mine site and kept in a building, in a particular building together. And the only families who immediately knew that their loved ones were lost were the relatives of the first seven men who came out. And everybody else was there wondering. And so Tommy had, you know, been on shift that day. So he was there for the explosion and he was there for the first men who came out. And he was there listening to the mine radios when some of the other men who they knew were gone but had not come out yet were located. And so he knew that his family was gone before his relatives did. And his parents came to the mine site to wait, and he didn't feel like he could be the one to tell them that three of their family members had been lost. And so he waited with his family until the company came and told his family that their loved ones were gone. 
which I can only imagine must have been completely excruciating for him. Coal Country is about life and hope in the face of unspeakable grief. As the show came together, Eric had an experience that brought the grief of the families into sharp focus. My dad and my uncle passed away within just a couple weeks of each other, I think. I had been, um, I'd been estranged from my dad uh, for a long time. It was tough. I realized, and we were in the middle of rehearsing or writing, or there was some aspect of we it. We were writing when it. And I'd never felt pain like that before in my life. When I found out my dad died, it was like, it was something primal and guttural in me. And I wept and wept and wept. I finally understood the level of grief that people were feeling. You know, this is not a spectator sport. This is personal. And Steve says that, and it's about blood. And I, I for, for the first time, realized that the grief of these 29 families, and however many hundreds of people that means in West Virginia, I felt, how can you ever, as a community, get over that amount of grief? I've never felt anything like it in my life. And you multiply that by 29 families, and it just seems, it just seems, um, terrible. There's always these hanging threads when somebody goes, you know, the thing you wish you would have said to them or the thing that you wish would have happened or the thing you wish you could have done. And I think grief is a lot about that. You know, the conversation that you never had that you wish you could have had. I'm Steve Earle. I'm I'm a songwriter, and um, I mean that's my day job. I do a lot of stuff, and I think all doing all of it reinforces my home-based craft. But I think I'm still a songwriter. Jessica Blank and Eric Jensen I'd known for some time. I, my main area of activism for years and years was against the death penalty. And Jessica and Eric wrote a wrote a play called The Exonerated, and I was involved in it as a activist, like like helping stage readings and as a producer of one reading. And then I was in it twice as an actor when it finally went up in New York. And they approached me because they had this idea of doing what they do, which is called documentary theater about Upper Big Branch, about the explosion there, and ended up in us traveling to West Virginia and, and conducting these interviews and starting work on coal country. And that was four years before we finally went up on March 3rd and, of 2020, and then March 13th, we closed. <laughs> and. Um, I moved here to do music for theater, and, and so it was a big deal for me. It was two things that fell into my lap, the next step in that, because I'd done music for, um, well, I only wrote one song, but I wrote the score for a, for a Richard Maxwell play that went up at Soho Rep, and that started four years before that, you know, and I just finished that when Jessica and Eric approached me, and it was the next step. Plus, I was looking for a way to make a record that would speak to my belief that we've lost the ability to communicate with each other in different parts and different walks of life in this country and that's why we're in so much trouble i still write more songs about girls than i do anything else um i'm just a person that comes from an era when it was there was no question about whether you made art about what was going on in the world around you that just isn't 
And I've run into problems with that when I've chosen to do it, but I always did it with my eyes wide open. I knew it was going to happen. And, and I don't, um, I, I, I'm not a protest songwriter. I'm a songwriter. There's a lot of things to write songs about. And I try to write songs about all of them, you know, when it comes right down to it. I started out reacting to what I overheard in the interviews, essentially. But then I was reacting to the script. And the script is the interviews. It's the it's a transcription of the interviews is the raw form of the script because it's documentary theater. Jess and Eric, they were bound by that. Their rules are basically the same as journalism. They couldn't put words in people's mouths and call it documentary theater. I was not bound by that. So... You know, Devil Put the Coal is, is that's pretty easy. That's the first thing I wrote. And keep in mind, this is a part of the country where anybody that has anything, it comes from coal or did then. And their only hope of ever having anything is maybe getting one of the very few jobs left in coal mining because most of it's done by machines. You know, there were 29 men killed at, at, at UBB. There would have been, a hundred years ago, it would have been over a hundred men to do this same job way more slowly. The continuous miner came in, you know, this machine that really took a lot of coal out and it was good at getting the most valuable coal out from deep in the ground, the blue coal, the coal that's used for making steel, which, by the way, doesn't have that much to do with our energy grid in the United States. It's mostly shipped off to places where they still make steel and we don't. That's what that coal is used for. You don't burn that in a coal-fired generator. That's what UBB did. That's what the long wall was producing, that machine way down three miles down into the mine. We're fond of saying that people vote their pocketbooks, and that's not really true. Um, rich people vote their pocketbooks. Poor people vote their livelihoods, their families. And all that happened, people outside of West Virginia, at the point that we wrote this, were saying, you know, we're saying, oh, that's Trump country, you know. And and it only became Trump country when, <laughs> when Hillary Clinton went there first and said she was gonna close the coal mines. And then Donald Trump said, oh, okay. And he went right in and he said, I'm going to keep them open. And both of them were fucking lying because neither one of them had the power to do that. The market does that. And the fact is that this mini coal boom that was going on in this part of West Virginia ended with the explosion at UBB because Massey paid out a bunch of money in settlements and everybody else went, whoa, and and, and a, lot, a lot of the mining slowed down or stopped at that point. But it's about blood. It's all Tommy Davis. It all starts with Tommy Davis was one of two people that were talking. Gary Quarles was talking because he knew about coal mines and he lost his son. But Tommy lost his son, his brother, and his nephew. It, uh, it was a big deal to him. And, and he was angry and he was the person that most people saw that morning after the explosion, which is the only time that we as a nation gave a fuck about it for Big Branch. The job of a songwriter is more than anything else, and, and most art, I think, is empathy. You know, people don't give a fuck about what you think, they don't give a fuck about what you feel. They care about what you feel, what you think that they can identify with, that they've had happen to them. So that to make this piece work, we had to connect people with it personally, and the, the, the everybody's got grief in their life, and everybody's got loss in their life at, at, at some point. And, and so that was what the job was from the beginning of the play to the end. We're trying to humanize people from West Virginia for a New York theater audience. And, it, and that was a thing that I really felt like needed to happen. Jessica said something that, that, you know, that, you know, the idea that the last prejudice that 
we allow ourselves is against people that are uneducated living in different parts of the country than we live in. And, and um, the idea that, oh, this is red and that's blue, it's a relatively new idea. And it's a dangerous idea that's gotten us into this, a lot of the trouble that we're in right now at this moment. I'm opposed to the death penalty. I've done more work in that area of activism than any other uh, area, to the point where I ended up witnessing an execution in Texas, and I don't recommend that. And I'm gonna make sure I never have to do it again. But I stood outside of prisons while people were being executed several times. And in, in most of those occasions, I at some point would end up holding hands with someone who was opposed to the death penalty, who also like was valently opposed to abortion. When I was 14 years old, my girlfriend and I had discovered this whole new thing to do and she got pregnant and she got an abortion legally and safely, even though there was no place in the United States where abortions were illegal except for New York. She didn't have to go to New York. She went to the hospital where her father worked as a clinical psychologist. The point is rich people have never had to worry about whether their wives and, and daughters and mistresses can get abortions. That rich people have always been able to get abortions. This issue is about whether poor people can get abortions or not. I can't argue with somebody that opposes the death penalty that calls themselves pro-life on that issue. So I have to be willing to stand there with them to work that one issue. Not everybody thinks the same way as you do about every issue. And this, that, this whole point of this project to me was a way for me to try to convince members of my own tribe that everybody that voted for Donald Trump wasn't an asshole or a racist because they weren't. Some people just their lives just hadn't gotten better under Barack Obama and, and they they're going to blame whoever's in office and it happened to be Barack Obama. We have to learn that that what they what they believe matters, whether it's the same thing as we believe or not. Uh, the only thing I haven't probably don't have memorized are those guys' names. I have a mental block about it, and we're running them on a prompter at the back of the room because I'm terrified of leaving one of those names out. So they're on the top of my guitar if that becomes necessary, but there's a prompter at the back of the room, and those names are there because I just couldn't memorize them. I memorized a lot of stuff, and I'm, and I'm you know, I was in the wire. David Simon, there's a lot of words in a, in a page if, if you work for David Simon, and, you know, I don't use a prompter during my gigs. I still remember my songs. So it's, uh, but those names, I'm just terrified that if I left one out, I'd never be able to forgive myself. You can sing things that you, you that you can't say. It's that simple. It, it, it's, it's a lubricant for hard ideas. When I play a minor chord, I've fucking got you. You're already headed down a certain path before I say a word. You know, that's the deal. So decide you're going to be a poet's like decide you're going to be a bluegrass musician or, or a jazz musician. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this really hard thing that'll take me forever to become proficient at and I'll never master and I'm never going to make any fucking money. The main thing that's different this time is between the last time that we went up and this time I lost my firstborn son. So all of that stuff is firsthand for me in a way that it never was before. I'd lost people before, but never a child. And, um, you know, so that's, uh, that makes it a completely different experience for me. And I don't know, I don't really wanna 
dwell on it or talk about it a lot because I got to go do it tonight. But uh, it's not, um, it is different. It's absolutely different now. This is Steve Earle with his song, It's About Blood. Love in the eyes when you're talking to me. Wanna see in your soul when you lie. Don't try and tell me that you couldn't fall see what everybody reckons was a matter of time. Goddamn right, I'm emotional. I ain't nothing but a man. Hell yes, this is personal. Before you leave here, you're gonna understand. It's about fathers. It's about sons. About lovers waking up in the middle of a night alone. It's about muscle. It's about bone. It's about a river running thicker than water, and it's about blood. Once upon a time in America, working man knew where we stood. Nowadays, just getting by is a miracle. Probably wouldn't give it up if I could. Don't want to hear about the state of the economy, fiscal reality, profit and loss. None of that matters with you underground anyway. Damn, you can't tell me nothing about cost. It's about fathers. It's about sons. It's about lovers waking up in the middle of the night alone. It's about muscle. It's about bone. It's about a river running thicker than water and it's about blood. If it was an accident, isolated incident, part of the job Yeah, we'll tell that to the families, kids without daddies and tell it to God Is that the wind you hear howling through the holler Or the ghost of a widow that cries For every man that died for a cold come to dollar Chest full of dust and a heart full of lies It's about fathers It's about sons It's about lovers waking up in the middle of a night alone It's about muscle, it's about bone, it's about a river running thicker than water, and it's about blood. It's about Carl Acord, Jason Atkins, Christopher Bell, Gregory Stephen Brock, Kenny Chapman. Robert E. Clark, Timothy Davis, Corey Davis, Michael Lee Ellswick, William Bob Griffith, Stephen Hara, Edward Dean Jones, Richard K. Lane, William Roosevelt Lynch, Nicholas Darrell McCroskey, Joe Markham, Ronald Lee Maynard, James E. Moody, Adam Keith Morgan, Rex Mullins, Joshua Knapper, Howard Payne, Dillard Earl Persinger, Joel R. Price, Stuart Scott, Grover Dale Skeens, Benny Willingham, Ricky Workman, Gary Wayne. 
That was Steve Earle with his song, It's About Blood. Coal Country runs at the Cherry Lane Theater until April 17th. For those not able to make it to New York City, you can hear a cast recording of the show via Audible. Special thanks to Audible for their permission to use that recording of the song, and thanks also to Michelle, Bobby, and Jesse for putting this together. The next episode will feature a story from hospice social worker Zelda about her days working at a strip club and the many ways that the two jobs overlap. Songwriter is entirely independently produced, put together by Hook and Crook. If you want to support the artists and the work of putting these shows together, please sign up for a premium subscription via Apple Podcasts or simply go to songwriterpodcast.com forward slash donate. Anything you can afford helps. You can always get early access to the Songwriter Podcast at Paste. Just go to pastemagazine.com and search for Ben Arthur. And while you're there, check out the Paste Podcast or get them wherever you get yours. Last, thanks as always to Rob Reinhardt and Acoustic Cafe. Acoustic Cafe.